Welcome to the Connect Kindness Podcast, where we connect people with organizations to inspire kindness. I'm your host, Crystal Aziz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tim Evans. In today's episode, we interview Ryan Hurljack, who's the founder of Ryan's Well Foundation. Their foundation is bringing clean water to almost a million people across the world. Their focus is building wells and also improving sanitation in rural communities that may not have access to clean waters otherwise. Ryan shares with us how a first grade fundraiser ended up turning into a passion project that he has dedicated his life to. Ryan goes in depth about the process of funding a well, as well as the actions needed to sustain the well in the communities. Ryan is a very, very humble guy with a huge heart, and it was a pleasure interviewing him. It was also amazing to hear about his 21-year journey of helping others. So without further ado, this is our interview with Ryan Hurljack, the founder of Ryan's Well Foundation. Thank you so much for joining us on the Connect Kindness podcast. Can you share with our listeners what is the Ryan's Well Foundation and what needs do you serve? Uh, sure, Crystal. The Ryan's Well Foundation is a non-for-profit that started 17 years ago with the idea to bring clean water to the most vulnerable people in the world so that they can build their own lives. Kids can be able to go to school. People can have proper sanitation so that they cannot get sick and just lead their lives. So we started on that principle way back then, and we're still lucky to be going forward with it today. Ryan, you have an amazing story of how your your foundation was uh, founded and, and came to be. Will you share with our listeners uh, that story? Absolutely. Uh, it would have been back in the day now, uh, 21 years ago, 28 now. It started when I was six, almost seven, and I was in my grade one class. And I don't think I was an exceptional student by any means. I just went to school and sat down and listened and waited for recess, basically. But every year at my school, we used to do uh, like an annual fundraiser. Like we do something every year. It was almost like part of the routine, like canned food drives or cancer research fundraisers. But this year, I had a teacher. She was in her very first year. Her name was Mrs. Prest, and she wanted to do something a little bit more direct. So she got a list together. Uh, we were supposed to fundraise for kids our own age in other places in the world that didn't have the same things we had. So she made this list of what things would cost so we could come up with specific fundraising goals for each of them. So there were things like blankets, food, medicine, all these things that you know kids our age didn't have. And on that list, uh, she said $70 would buy a well. And she explained to us that that was important because there were kids our age who couldn't go to school and sometimes even died because they didn't have clean water. And we didn't understand. I think one of my classmates asked uh, my teacher, like, why don't they just go to the water fountain? You know, like, (laughs) duh, problem solved. And my teacher had to explain to us, like six-year-olds, like, no, not everyone has water fountains. Sometimes kids have to walk as far as five kilometers. So that's like a little over two miles to go get water if they don't have it at their school or at their home. And we didn't know how far that was as grade ones. So my teacher tried to explain it to us, which was good on her, but she explained it by saying 5,000 steps. Didn't help too much. Couldn't count that high. (laughs) But I counted the steps it took me to get from my classroom to the water fountain. And I counted 10. Wow. I don't know. When I just came out of kindergarten, one thing that was almost like forced upon us back then was this idea of the classroom was like a fair place and that we shared things. So to hear that this wasn't the case and that there were kids our age who couldn't even go to school uh, because they didn't have water, it really upset us. And uh, so we were a little upset with my teacher, but you know, she, she was a grown up. She just shrugged and said, oh, it's just how some things are and we can do something small about it. And that's why it's on the list. And then we were deciding who would fundraise money for what and the well came up. It was the most expensive thing. And 
I raised my hand. And I wasn't typically the kind of student to raise their hand, so I think my teacher, she kind of just raised her eyebrows and looked at me and said, you know, Ryan, are you sure? Like, this is a big part of our fundraiser. I was like, are you sure you can commit to fundraise for this? And I said, don't worry, I have a plan. I'm going to go to my parents. I'm going to ask them for $70. They're going to give it to me, and then I'll come back and give it to you. So I thought it was a good plan because it's not like I want to buy something for myself. Solid. Yeah, I thought it was a great plan. I didn't want to buy something for myself. I wanted to do something good. So my parents would reward that. And so I went home and uh, said to my folks, can I have $70 to build a well? There's kids that don't have clean water. And they looked at me and they kind of, you know, tilted their heads and said, you know, aw, that's cute. Uh, No. (laughs) And then kind of ignored me. Uh, Because I was so young, I think they thought I would just forget about it a few minutes later. But... I don't know. Every time I had a drink of water, I reminded myself that another kid my age couldn't do that. So I I didn't let it go. And it got bad. It escalated. We were, it got to the point where we were having like a family Sunday dinner, like all around the dinner table. And my mom especially, I thought she would listen and she just wasn't listening. So we had lots of rules growing up, but one of the big ones was uh, that we didn't point. And we were at the table, my two brothers, my parents and I, and I pointed right at my mom. And I said, you don't get it. Someone just died because they don't have clean water, and you didn't help them. And I pointed right at her. Uh, I got a timeout. <laughs> that wasn't a good thing to do. But I got sat down later, and uh, my mom talked, and she said, you know, Ryan, $70 is a lot of money, especially for a six-year-old, and we're not just going to give it to you. But if you're serious about it, you can do extra chores on top of the chores you already do. We'll give you something magical called an allowance. And then if you're serious, you can fundraise the money that way. So I started doing extra chores around my house. And it took a long time. My school fundraiser had long since ended by the time I ended up raising the $70. Uh, it was actually a time limit of 40 days for the original fundraiser, and I had raised like $25. So I failed and then finally raised the $70 to bring it into an organization that was happy I brought it in. I had a cookie tin filled of change, and I got all dressed up, and I was excited I was going to build this well. And they kind of had the same reaction my parents did when I came home. They tilted their heads, said, oh, that's adorable. We took a photo and explained to me that it's a little bit more complicated to build a well, and it would cost, at that time, at least $2,000, they said. And I told them I would just do more chores and come back once I had $2,000. <laughs> when my dad uh, heard I said that, he face bombed pretty hard because he was a grown-up too, and he realized that the world's a big, complicated place, and sometimes we can't have that impact. Like, we can be kind, but you have to know your limitations. And I looked up to my dad. He was a volunteer in the town, and... Uh, he was a police officer, and I talked with him, and he said, Ryan, you did a great job. You showed tenacity and perseverance, and you didn't give up, and you should feel proud of that, like you reached your goal. But it's okay to stop. And I think we thought that once I realized how big the world was and how complicated some of the problems were, that I'd become more cynical once I realized that I couldn't have the impact that I wanted. And it made sense from that perspective, but I was coming at it I was I had just turned seven, and you know it was something that I connected to when my teacher told us that kids had to walk as far as they did. Like it made me want to raise my hand, so I did. And it didn't matter how complicated it was. I made a commitment to build that well. So I started doing little fundraisers in my classroom. I did the Pokemon card raffle. I did the like the sports tournament things at lunch. Uh, a few of my friends started helping out. Uh, grew to my community, my family, and it got to the point we were able to build that well <laughs> over a year later. And then since then, slowly grew in the project to over my town and then 
province and then country now all over the world to the point now where we've been able to establish the Ryan's Law Foundation 17 years ago and we've done over 1,400 water projects in over 17 countries helping bring clean water to a million people. So you can't discount the dream of a six-year-old sometimes. Absolutely. The passion that you have and had, um, it's amazing. Thank you so much for, for sharing that story. It's, it, it is awesome. It, it is powerful. <laughs> it's, it's to hear a mindset of a six-year-old doing something, like you said, kind, and not taking maybe the limitations that an adult mindset might have you know, taken on from it. growing up. You realize, okay, is there so much that I can do? Is there not? Uh, I do want to commend your teacher for doing something like that, too, as a fundraising event because I can remember you know selling chocolates for our sports team sure. to have t-shirts or something <laughs> like that so that's completely different I think it's a cool concept a great idea does your teacher realize the impact that she that she's had do you still you know uh, stay connected with her uh, absolutely uh, she actually retired uh, this year uh, she's uh, actually the principal of the town next to mine now so I saw her last year they did a uh, fundraiser for Ryan well so I was there speaking to her students so so keep in touch and it's what you're saying is crazy. Yeah, if I had the, if I had came in it from an adult perspective, if I had the mind that I have now and I put it in my six-year-old body, even though I know so much more information, I don't think I ever would have started because I would have known that. So sometimes you need to follow your passion and not to say that the context isn't important and you have to be realistic and set goals and expectations and all that, but you have to come at it from, you know, a six-year-old mind sometimes when you tackle big problems. I totally agree. I think that's great. Um, for the people that don't know, what is the process of building a well, and what does that cost look like in today's world? Well, it's more complicated than I was ever led to believe. In the last 22 years of volunteering and now working in the water sector, it's it's the furthest thing from simple because it's not just a matter of doing the infrastructure upfront cost and then all of a sudden a community has water for a lifetime. You have to make sure that a lot of sustainability goes into it to make sure that the well is owned by the community that it has the proper resources to not only be there, but to be effective, to be prepared once things do go wrong, and for the community to have that tools. And part of the thing is it's an expensive upfront cost, but if you don't do all those other things that go into it in terms of making sure there's a water committee with people from the community that are there who are helping establish rules on how the water is being used, help collect a little amount of funds from the communities to go into things like replacing washers and nuts and bolts and having a certain number of pump mechanics trained in each district and things that really go a long way because people want to have ownership over their own lives. It's not necessarily, you know, a well that comes in and it's a charity forever. It's an upfront cost that helps the community get put back on its feet so that they can provide for themselves. So it's a cost that can be anywhere for a well from, I'd say, uh, $5,000 to $15,000 in the areas where we operate. And it can also be different things. Sometimes it makes more sense to build a protected spring or a rain harvest watering tank, depending on the area. There's lots of different ways to get clean water that are sustainable and that are uh, effective for different communities. Wow. I was not expecting that cost at all. That's significantly high compared to 2000 you know 21 years ago yeah it's <laughs> it's quite a bit more but when you look at the areas that we do work in and the upkeep costs in terms of the equipment in terms of doing it and doing it right like we look at uh, our budget every year and when we look to do a project we do almost a year of planning for a, a site before we actually even start working on it because you want to make sure those things are in place beforehand there used to be some crazy statistic in the 90s 
where they figured about 80% of water projects done by uh, government and international aid organizations in the developing world, about 80% of them broke within their first year because there was none of that. There was none of the idea that you had to really maintain and strengthen the community so that they had the capacity to care for a well and a water project. And that's horrendous. And if they have that kind of statistic, there's no point in doing the work in the first place. So you have to grow up and see what's going to last and put in the time and effort to make it so because, you know, you don't want it to last for a year. You want it to last for a lifetime. And that doesn't happen magically. So, yeah, lots of big issues, big problems, but nothing insurmountable by any means. Uh, Ryan, you were uh, interviewed on Oprah as a young boy, and uh, you said in that interview that one of your goals was not only to build wells, but to also have clean sanitation for the communities that you're helping. Uh, What steps have you taken to bring clean sanitation into these communities? Well, that's one of the things that goes into the well in the first place is it's a training to make sure that when we're doing work specific, uh, specifically at schools or even in villages that we take the time to make sure that sanitation is highlighted because almost all waterborne disease not only come from water and the water chain in terms of how that water gets to us, but in terms of sanitation, washing hands and basic things like that. So for kids to have those Uh, It's no different than training your kids to wash hands here at home, except in schools and uh, in the developing world as well. That cuts down on waterborne diseases, that cuts down on time that people are sick and can't go to work. And it's part of the bigger problem in itself that water creates. So if we can tackle water, we can tackle the water and sanitation crisis as well and make sure that, you know, if we do, it has huge benefits and it's part of the greater water problem. Uh, how big are the communities that you guys are assisting? Um, you said you work with villages, but also just schools mm. too? Yeah, well, we do work. We work, uh, our mandate is to specifically seniors, women, and children, because they're the ones most affected by not having access to clean water, specifically in rural settings. So we look at those demographics, and then we look at where the well is going to be maintained appropriately and uh, has the commitment from the community to sign on to the water committee that has people willing to sign on to training and to do things on that nature. And that's where we decide where we do our work. And then uh, we look at a rural setting a lot of the times because in the developing world, it's, it's changing at a rapid scale. And there's a lot of development coming in that can be really positive for countries and for the people that live there. But a lot of the times, people in rural settings get left behind in terms of technology in terms of infrastructure in terms of everything so we look at areas that are you know that don't get funding and don't get aid and are able to have an impact beyond the dollars that we spend kind of thing so we've been able to do that and we've done work last year we did work in uganda kenya burkina faso ghana and haiti and we hope to continue so much more totally understandable that's awesome you have an amazing heart a big heart you can obviously see that from a young age who would you say is the biggest influence on your life? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe it was my parents giving me the tools to, you know, not just give me the money, but giving me the platform to phrase it myself, my teacher for taking the time to yeah, explain it to us. It would have been easy for her to brush it off and say, okay, this is just what we're doing. Accept it. You're all sick. So you don't understand. And I remember people used to actually ask me that a lot when I was a kid, like, who is my hero? Who do I look up to? And it was tough because everyone, you know, family, friends, everyone had a role in it. And at the same time, like, I didn't feel like I was anything exceptional. Um, You know, I think one of the biggest things when I was young and first started fundraising 
and kind of the prospect my dad came uh, came to when he told me like it was okay to stop is he knew I wasn't some kind of exceptional activist kid kind of thing like he knew I was just Ryan I liked playing Super Smash Bro video games with my brothers on the weekend and sleeping in and doing mediocre in school and he he knew that I had limitations and I think other people saw that too and really discounted me in I think positive ways if that makes sense like oh you, you can wait till you're older like it's great that you care but you only do so much and you're just a kid and all that stuff but I think it was more than that like people saw that I was normal and they kind of said like if Ryan can do that why can't I and that's kind of how the story began that it was Ryan's wellness idea of you can be Ryan you can be like a kid and make a huge difference and then I think when I was older people assumed when I was 12 13 maybe when the project was more successful that I was that kind of person and I really wasn't so I think the biggest people who have an influence on me at the end of the day are were just other kids around me who helped volunteer, helped share their own stories, whether it was with uh, something with the environment or something with uh, bullying. or some, Those were the kids who raised their hands to do something about the issues they cared about that motivated me to keep on going with what I was. Ryan, uh, you've you know dedicated almost your entire life t- to doing this. And since you were six years old, you said now you're 28. What have been your biggest challenges through this entire journey, and uh, how have you overcome them? I think the biggest challenge actually was growing up. I think when I was a teenager and I became more aware of how big the problem actually was, there's still you know, almost a billion people in this world that don't have clean water, more that don't have sanitation, uh, and it's complicated in terms of making sure that the project is sustainable and lasts for a long time, and that all these things that go into it and fundraising, and it's difficult and challenging and I think you know when I got discouraged I was lucky because I was able to incorporate the people around me my family and my friends people in the community now all over the world so when I was discouraged and got down and failed and you know if you're going to try to do something about an issue you're going to fail lots and when those things did happen it wasn't my project anymore it was a community it was a group of people that were all working together for the issue so I think that's the only reason why we were able to keep on going is because you know, it's nice to have something that you care about, and then you go forward with it, and you can keep it to yourself, and that's fine. But I think the only way is it grows is if you incorporate other people who have different talents, different strengths, different people, and share that with as many people as you can. So Ryan's Well, I don't think it's my story anymore. It's the story of an amazing group of people from around the world. Yeah. That's great. Even with all those challenges, there's always success stories. Can you share one that kind of sticks out in your mind? Yeah, I think that very when I was younger, after the first well was fundraised for, uh, I, the school had heard that a kid had fundraised for the well, and they were very, they were a little confused actually because they had assumed that it was going to be a big government or like a big organization to help fund it. They'd been asking for a water point for years and years and years, and they never got it. And then they heard that a kid had fundraised the money, who was six, and. They were curious because in that culture, even more than this one, when you're a student, you are a student. Uh, you sit down, you learn, and you wait till you're an adult to become like a member of the community. But they took what I did as a message for their own students, that they didn't have to wait, that they could become members of the community now. So uh, eventually, uh, my neighbor has donated their mile points, uh, who I'd done chores for over the years to fundraise for Ryan's well. And they used to travel a lot for a living, so they donated air mile points. So we were actually able to go to Uganda that very first time 
and to see the well. And the community had wanted me to come for years because they would want me to officially open the well and to talk to their students about how they could make a difference, even though they were the students. And it was unbelievable. There was this huge celebration, and everyone was so just out of this world happy because they had clean water. But I think the coolest success that came from all of that is they turned, it was July 27th, uh, that was the day I went, and they turned that into a holiday for the school. They called it Ryan's Day. but the, <laughs> So the students got the day off, which is great, but the trick was for that day, the students at the school were challenged to go out and volunteer in their own communities with seniors, with different issues, with uh, houses that maybe were less fortunate than them. So it was just a way of paying it forward that I think speaks volumes, that we want to be in situations where we you know, help our lives to the point where we can help other people. And that just is, you know, a way of doing that. It was really incredible. Ryan, you got your own holiday, man. I'm jealous. <laughs> that's awesome. Out of school, at one school. So. Hey, that's, that's amazing. That is so, so amazing. You're, you have an awesome story, um, and I know our listeners are going to want to connect with your foundation. Um, how can they uh, get involved, connect with the Ryan's Well Foundation? Yeah, if anyone wanted to participate in Ryan's Well, you can visit our website at ryanswell.ca or find us on social media for the Ryan's Well Foundation at all our social media tags for Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And whether you wanted to donate or volunteer or find out more about the world's water crisis and what we can do on the other side of the world as well as our, in our own backyards, uh, feel free to get in touch and share what you're doing and, yeah, send me a note. Awesome. Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, speaking with us and sharing those amazing stories of what you've been able to accomplish and uh, just the passion behind everything, too. It's really inspirational, not only to myself and Tim, but to anyone that I know will be listening to this podcast. And we're really excited about what your foundation is going to do for the future and the amount of people that you're going to impact. And uh, just want to say thank you. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. Well, thank you so much, Crystal and Tim, and good luck with the podcast with Connect Kindness. What you guys are doing is incredible, and hopefully more people get connected with things they care about. Thank you so much for listening to the Connect Kindness podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ShareGiveDo. And please remember, the world is changed by your example, not by your opinion.